Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys as y'all are making your way to your seats. Summer is upon us. Uh, I'm glad the beach balls made it back up here. I was a little worried that was going to happen throughout the sermon. This is hard enough uh, without those flying around. So uh, let me add my two cents to what Terry said, and he did a great job of communicating that, so you probably don't need me to, but let me just make a personal appeal to you as your pastor. Would you take the opportunity to serve in children's ministry this summer? You know, we have our regular faithful volunteers who are there all year long, and we need to give them the rest of the summer so that they can come back in during the school year and then be fired up and ready to go. And what that means for the rest of us who are not regular doing that, I think is that we need to fill the gap in the summer, right? Serve one another in that way. So if you could, I would love it if by the end of the day, all our summer slots are filled. So please do consider that. Just as a personal appeal from me to you to consider serving with our kids this week. The other good thing that happens is if you do that, then you get your background check all done because, you know, we got to take everyone through the background check, all those sorts of things. And that way, then you're available to serve in so many different capacities once that's taken care of. So anyway, we want you to really consider that and think about it. Let me pray for us as we turn our attention to God's word. Father, we love that we get to gather together as a family around your word every week. And we pray that you would cause it now to rest in authority over us. Help us to not resist anything that it wants to communicate to us and anything through your spirit that you want to say to us, whether that be uh, a word of conviction and change that needs to take place in our life or whether it be a word of comfort and encouragement that we maybe desperately need. You know that we come into this place in a variety of different places, emotionally, mentally, uh, just in what season of life we come into this place, all of us. Father, there are some that are probably flying and soaring and there are some that are really struggling and so we pray that this would be now a time where your spirit teaches us. We don't really need the words of a person, Lord. We need your words spoken to us. And so Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do to fill this place and anoint the teaching of your word and cause it to then um, speak right into our hearts and into our minds, just as you intend it to. We tell you that we wait with open hands for you. And Lord, I would pray that you would cause me now to speak what is true and right and good and helpful in this time. Guard my mouth. Make me your vessel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be there, and we're going to be in Daniel a little bit today. Daniel chapters 1 through 6. So we, last week, started a series, if you missed it, if you weren't here, uh, that's going to be our summer series. We're talking about different character traits that we um, want to see developed in ourselves. Now, you know, as a church, our mission statement is to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ. Now, the bookends of that statement are kind of the you know, super important part where we take that Jeremiah 29-7 mandate of God's placed us in a context and we want to be a people who seek the welfare of that place. And we want to do that not just for the good of that place, but for the glory of Christ. So that's the beginning and the end. But in the middle, as I said last week, we believe that the way that gets done is not by, as a church, just offering programs or having good worship services. The way that gets done is by us becoming a certain type of people. And so we've inserted right into the middle of our mission an understanding of how that mission actually gets accomplished. That it gets accomplished when we become people of deep truth, deep lives, and deep love. That's beliefs, character, and actions are represented by those three deeps. We call them our three deeps. And so we as a church want to be shaped in those ways, in what we believe, in the character that we possess, and in the actions that we perform. So what we're doing this summer is we're taking the time to think through for 10 weeks the type of character that we want to possess as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to look at different character traits that we have identified as a church that mark a fully formed follower of Jesus. Now, 
that said, we know none of us are ever going to get completely to the end result that we will get to when Jesus returns. We, we wait for him to return to become, like we talked about last week, loving people, right? And we have the ability to grow in love. We'll never be complete or perfect in that, but we want to grow in it every day of our lives that we become people who love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. So we talked about being loving people last week. Now, this week we're gonna turn our attention to faithfulness, to faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful people? And so as I said last week, every one of these 10 weeks, the basic question is this. It's real simple, right? How do I become a blank person, right? So how do I become a loving person last week? This week, how do I become a faithful person? Now my guess is, if you have had a faithful friend, I don't have to do a lot to convince you of the value of faithfulness, right? Have you had that friend who has gone with you in your hardest tasks all the way to the end? If you've had that person, then you know how valuable faithfulness is. And if you've not had that person, my bet is you have longed to have that person. And in longing for that type of faithful friendship, you have understood the value of faithfulness. So I'm guessing I don't have to do a lot to convince you of how valuable faithfulness is. And of course, if it's valuable for us to have a faithful friend, then it's valuable for us to be what? To be a faithful friend, to be a faithful person. Now, throughout this series, friends, we're not just looking to get at our actions, the things we do. We're looking to get at the development of our character, who we are, that we would be shaped and marked by these kinds of attributes in us. I was thinking about faithfulness this week. I was thinking about all the different examples in literature that, that just immediately come to mind for me as I think about demonstrations of faithful friendship, right? Uh, demonstrations like Hamlet and Horatio. Anybody familiar with Hamlet, Shakespeare's Hamlet, right? Horatio, spoiler alert, the only one that lives all the way to the end. Uh, but he's, he, he is Hamlet's faithful, faithful friend through all the trials that Hamlet is enduring. Or, you know, how about um, Scout and Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird? Did you have to read that one in 10th grade? Yeah, I had to read that one, right? Scout and Boo Radley, what a great example of faithful friendship. Uh, you know, there are, there are countless examples and they just go on and on and on. Uh, one of my favorites, how about Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah, that fine example of literature from Bill Watterson. Right, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, right? Sherlock Holmes and Dr. James Watson, right? Once more into the breach, right? Dear Watson, absolutely. With him as a faithful friend in every endeavor and every danger around every corner. But there's probably not a better one in all of literature, at least not in all of Western literature, than Frodo Baggins and his friend Samwise Gamgee, right? I got a bigger reaction than I was expecting. But what a beautiful example of faithful friendship. If you remember, Sam is Frodo's friend in the greatest task of Middle Earth, right? Frodo has been given the task. This little hobbit, and the hero, by the way, the hero of the story of Lord of the Rings is not Aragorn, the mighty warrior and king. It's not uh, the eloquent elf, right? It's not the bullheaded dwarf. It is not any of these people. The hero of, it's not the wise wizard, right? The hero of Lord of the Rings is just the inconsequential hobbit. The small, faithful, inconsequential hobbit. And Frodo's job is to take the ring of power and destroy it in, Mount, in Mordor in, on Mount Doom from where it was forged. And it's the diff, most difficult task anyone could be given. And Sam, Sam Gamgee is his friend that is with him through thick and thin 
all the way to the end. And Tolkien highlights this in a beautiful way. If you read the second book in the trilogy, he actually separates out what happens to one half of the fellowship and then what happens to Sam and Frodo. He puts Sam and Frodo on their own journey as if to say, these are all good friends, but Sam is the really faithful friend. Sam will go with Frodo no matter where he must go all the way to the end. There's a beautiful scene in the book, and if you've seen the movie, towards the end as they're making their way up Mount Doom, and Frodo's got no strength left. He has no resources left from which to draw to accomplish the task he's been given. And if he can't accomplish it, all will be lost. And in that moment, Sam looks at Frodo and says, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you, and picks him up and drags him up the mountain to accomplish the task that Frodo could never do alone. Faithful friends are really valuable, aren't they? If we know the value of, of having a faithful friend, then we'll know the value of being a faithful friend and being a faithful person. So when we're talking about faithfulness today, I wanna just answer two questions for us, if I can today, or at least examine two questions. The first is this, what is faithfulness? Now we might think intuitively we have an idea of what faithfulness is, and you probably do. I mean, faithfulness is one of those things, you know it when you see it, but we don't often take time to pause and say, well, what does that really mean? What does it mean to be faithful? I wanna give you a definition and unpack that a little bit for you today. And the second is, how do I become faithful? How do, I, how do I become a person who is faithful? And you probably, like me, recognize that there are a thousand ways in which you are not faithful. Uh, that there are a thousand ways, maybe on a daily basis, if not on a weekly or monthly basis, that you find that you don't walk in good faith, perhaps to a promise you've made or to a relationship that you've forged. And you should have done something different. And so the journey for all of us is figuring out how do we grow to become a faithful person. So let's tackle those two questions. The first one. What is faithfulness? So here's my definition. Now, you won't find this in Webster, right? I'll give you kind of what Webster says about it, but let me just give you what I think is a, is a, a sound biblical definition of faithfulness. It's this. <clears throat> faithfulness is loving what God says is good and doing it all the way to the end. Faithfulness is loving what God says is good and doing it all the way to the end. Now, you'll notice that there's two components to that. Uh, definition. There's a heart element to that, right? It's not enough just to say, I will do what is good. I will do what is right according to God. I will perform my duty. That's the second half of the definition, and that's valuable, but there must be a heart connectedness. There must be something in who we are, a love of what God says is good, that then produces an obedience to that good. Both of those are necessary. Now, the other half of that, the doing it, part is necessary because it's true that every character trait we look at over these 10 weeks is going to require action from us. I mean, there's not a one of them that you can say, I just, I feel it and therefore, and, but I don't have to do it. They all require action. But you can see how there are ways in which, you know, like last week, I can feel a genuine version of love towards a person and just fail to execute upon that. I mean, fail to demonstrated in my actions. That's not what we want to do, but we can do it. And we can still say there's, a, there's really a very genuine love in me. Faithfulness, perhaps more than any of these other character traits, requires action because you, can, you can't just feel faithful, right? Just feeling like you want to be faithful doesn't make you faithful. You have to do what makes you faithful. And so it requires both love for what God declares is good and also then a doing of that good and a doing of it all the way to the end. So that's the kind of operating definition. Now in the Hebrew and in the Greek words that are used for faithfulness in your Bible, when you look in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that's used for faithfulness, and then when you look in the New Testament, the Greek word that's used for faithfulness, both of them revolve around the same idea and it's this idea, 
truth. Those words are, it's the word emeth in the Greek, and it literally means truth. Uh, and in the Hebrew, it's aman, and that also means truth. So the idea when the English translators are translating from the original languages, what they're saying is when they say God is faithful or this person was faithful, they're translating those words to say they were true. And they weren't just true, they were true to what is true. So that might be even a shorter definition if you want it, right? Faithfulness is being true to what is true. It's not just being sort of consistent. Now let's keep in mind here, right, that we often think of faithfulness as being like like consistency. They're like clockwork. We can count on them. That person is faithful. But it's not enough just to be consistent. You could be consistently bad and that's not faithfulness, right? To be consistently uh, angry, you could say, I am operating out of who I am. That's, I'm good. I am consistent, right? That's why I, I like the definition of loving what God says is good and then doing, because faithfulness always implies a, a consistency in goodness, right? So, If that's what faithfulness is, Tozier, A.W. Tozier, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, gives a great explanation of what God's faithfulness really means. Now, he goes through different attributes of God in each chapter. And when he gets to the chapter on God's faithfulness, he says this about God's faithfulness. He says, all that God does agrees with all that God is. And being and doing are one in him. That's the real key phrase. Being and doing are one in him. In other words, what Tozier is saying is when we say that God is faithful or when the Bible says God is faithful, what it's really saying is God always acts according to his nature. All that God is is always expressed in all that God does. Think about that for a moment because how often have you been like Paul in Romans 7 and said, oh, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I do. Anybody been there before? Where your, your desires and your actions, they just don't line up one way or another. The, the desires may be good and the actions may be bad or the desires may be bad and the actions may ultimately actually be good. I mean, we've all been there. That's just normal life for us as human beings. But think about what it means for God to be faithful is that his being and his doing are always one. They are inseparable. All that God is is expressed in all that God does. So that's what we're after when we talk about faithfulness. We are after, as a people, having our being and our doing align with one another. You with me, church? That's what we're after when we talk about faithfulness. Now, let me make one other comment here about faithfulness before we move on to our second question. And it's this. Faithfulness always has a relational nature. Now, here's why I say that to you. Because it would be possible for you to walk in and hear us talking about faithfulness and to say, okay, Faithfulness is adhering to a standard. In fact, I think that's the way a lot of people think about faithfulness, is there's some set of rules that I need to follow, there's some standard that I need to adhere to, and when I adhere to it, then I have been faithful. But when the Bible talks about faithfulness, it doesn't talk about faithfulness to a standard, it talks about faithfulness to a person. So then when it talks about God being faithful, his faithfulness is expressed in him loving what is good, what he calls good, right? And then expressing that goodness in his actions towards people or towards a group of people. God's faithfulness is expressed towards in relationship towards people. And our faithfulness to God is not just adhering to his rules. Our faithfulness to God is expressed in relationship with him. Now, there's a reason that's tremendously important. Listen to how Psalm 89.1 says it. And we'll throw this on the screen for you as well. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord... Forever, 
With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is that God has been faithful to all generations by expressing, what did he say at the very beginning? His steadfast love. In other words, God's love is directed towards a people, towards the psalmist. He's writing, oh, your love has found me. It it never ceases to find me. Your faithfulness has been found from generation to generation of my people. And he's getting at the idea that God's faithfulness is inherently expressed in relationship. Now, the reason that's important, friends, is because if you think about faithfulness as faithfulness to a standard, you're going to be lacking something that you need in your journey of becoming a faithful person. Because when you recognize that, that my faithfulness is always expressed in relationship towards the God who made me, that it's about him, not just about adhering to his standard. In fact, whenever the Bible does, and it rightly does, call us to obey what God has called good. So you could say that's adhering to a set of rules, but it never tells us to do that just because the rules are the rules. It tells us to do that because those rules express the very nature of God. And when we obey what God says is good in his law, when we obey that, we are learning something of God. And when you're learning something of God, what are you entering into? A relationship. You are engaging in a relationship with the king of the universe. And so we see that faithfulness is always expressed relationally. Now, that's so powerful because, look, if you're like me, rules can only go so far in terms of compelling you to want to be a faithful person, right? If I said to you, here are all the rules, like be faithful to those, if you're a really disciplined person, you might do that for a while. If you're a really moral person, you might do that for a while so that you can feel good about your own morality, right? Ultimately, that doesn't get you where you need to go. But when you understand that my motive for faithfulness is that there's a God who sits on high and expresses faithfulness towards me through the sacrifice of his son and has made promises to me and those promises are good in Christ Jesus, when you realize that, it it just pulls faithfulness out of you, faithfulness you never thought was in you. Remember, friends, that Galatians chapter five says that things like love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, right, that those things are fruits of the Spirit. In other words, they're not just things I can discipline myself to do. They're things that the Spirit of God must do through me, which means that my work is to yield to the Spirit of God as actively as I can, to yield to God's Spirit and say, I want all that you want in me, in me. And I want all that you want done through me, done through me. I want to yield to you. So there's activeness. It's not just passivity, But it's an act of yielding, not just a disciplining of the self to cause me to become faithful. Friends, if I can, this perhaps this is very disappointing to you, but let me just say, you don't have that in you. You do not have in you what you need to be a faithful person in yourself. But the Spirit of God in you produces the fruit of faithfulness as you yield to him. That's a a sustainable type of faithfulness. Okay, so that's, What is faithfulness? Now let's turn our attention to that second question. How can we become faithful? The Bible's gonna give us a really simple answer. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter 25 and then we're gonna look at Daniel. But starting in Matthew 25, you may be familiar, uh, 
chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, is the, what we call the parable of the talents. Now, it's a story that Jesus tells about what his kingdom is like. He says, this is what the kingdom is like. There's a master, and he's going to go away for a while, and he's going to leave some money with his servants. And he's going to leave, he calls them talents. That's the type of money, talents. I'm going to leave five talents with one servant and two talents with another servant and then one talent with a third servant. And if you know the story, you know that the one who gets the five talents immediately goes out and makes five more talents. He puts it to work. The one who, makes, who gets two talents goes out and makes two more talents. And then finally, the one who makes one talent is nervous about losing that talent. He proves to not be faithful. He buries the talent. When the master returns, gives it back to the master, and the master says, that's a horrible choice that you've made. You failed to be faithful with what I placed in your hands. Now, this is one of the most telling places in the New Testament that speaks about faithfulness because Jesus' whole purpose in telling this parable is to teach us a couple things. One, faithfulness is necessary. It's required of followers of Jesus. It's required that they be faithful. Faithfulness is not predominantly about not messing up. It's about doing things faithfully with what God gives you, right? But perhaps the most important lesson in this parable is this, is, is uh, start with the small and it leads to the big. Do the small things first. We're gonna see the same lesson in Daniel. So let me just point it out to you. Look at chapter 25 in Matthew, verses 19 through 21. Just looking at the master now returning. It says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Now here's the key, these words in verse 21. His master said to him, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. All right, so what have we just learned about faithfulness? One, did you notice that it's relational? Because what does the master say? Hey, not well done. Like, you know, you just kind of stay over there as a servant. Now he says, well done, enter into the what? The joy of your master. The assumption of Jesus is telling this parable is that the servant wants to please the master. That there's a relational nature between them that the servant, we, <laughs> towards our master, Jesus, is saying, you're gone right now, you're gonna come back. We want to be faithful with what you've given us because we want to hear, enter into the joy of your master. We want you to be pleased with us. We want to hear. Don't you want to hear at the end of your life or at the return of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant? One day, you're gonna close your eyes for the last time. And when you open them again, you will open them on the other side of eternity and you will be face to face with God. And in that moment, he will say something to you. My prayer for each and every one of you is that you would hear, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. How do you get there? What he said next, you have been faithful with little, I will now set you over much. Remember that the scriptures teach that those who are followers of Jesus will actually judge the world. We will rule and reign in the new heaven and the new earth with Jesus. I don't know exactly how it's gonna play itself out, but that's the promise of the New Testament. Now that sounds like a lot of authority, doesn't it? So the message of this parable is be faithful with, you might think, well, what's a little? Pretty much in comparison to that, everything in this life that you have authority over is little. And he's saying, be, a, be faithful with little. If you run a Fortune 500 company compared to the authority you will have in all eternity, you have very, that's little right now. 
perhaps you don't run a Fortune 500 company. Perhaps you run a house. Be faithful in the little, and you will be faithful in much. Look, I mean, here's the, here's the big thing that I find is when I talk, particularly with younger folks, there's this desire to be a world changer, and I love that. I always want to fan the flame of that. I want to encourage that. I want to change the world, but there's often a misconception of how the world gets changed. There's this idea that I just want to be in charge of something big and important and meaningful, and then I want to change the world through it. And I want to say, you recognize that that big thing is made up of a lot of small things. That Jesus is telling you to be faithful. Faithful. A friend of mine says this all the time. God doesn't ask us to be God. He asks us to be faithful with the next small thing. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the idea, right? Faithful with small becomes faithful with much. Big tasks are made up of a thousand small tasks. And so we have to be faithful with the small. Just Let's reiterate this idea then in Daniel. Daniel says it this way, and it's beautiful. If you remember the book of Daniel, okay, now this should be familiar. We went through this entire book sort of ad nauseum not too long ago. So if you've been with us a while, then some of this is going to be repeat, right? But if you remember, let's just walk through the chapters of Daniel. Daniel's faithfulness is expressed in him doing some amazing things in the book of Daniel. He enters into some of the most weighty moments before the most powerful people, and he speaks the truth to them regardless of the consequence to him. We call it speaking truth to power, right? And one of the questions that you and I should ask is, what gives Daniel the ability to enter into these kinds of moments and actually be faithful in those moments. Because remember, in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of basically the known world. He has a dream and no one can interpret it. He's gonna kill all the wise men because they can't interpret it. And Daniel says, whoa, 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 let me pray. God will reveal to me what the dream is. God does that. Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and the, re- the revelation of the dream is, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, God's gonna destroy your kingdom. That's not something you really wanna say to kings who are known to be a little fly off the handle kind of guys. And then in Daniel chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And this time, it's not just that the kingdom's gonna be destroyed ultimately over time and replaced by another kingdom. It's that Nebuchadnezzar himself is going to turn into a thoughtless beast and gonna be removed from his throne because he's failed to acknowledge the one true God. Okay, if you didn't think the first thing was daunting to say to the king, how about the next one? And then Daniel gets forgotten. Daniel gets gets cast aside. Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's, Son-ish, there's a whole question about their relationship. He's the next guy that comes to the throne. Belshazzar just ignores Daniel. He doesn't even know Daniel exists. He's so busy partying and doing, just living crazy life, right? And in Daniel chapter five, they are partying and a hand shows up and writes stuff on the wall that he can't read. Now that's a scary moment, right? This just hand starts writing on your wall. Okay, if that's happened in your home, you've got problems, so he can't figure out what to do about it. He doesn't know who can, and, and the queen, his mother, actually knows, like, hey, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, there was a wise man named Daniel. He's still around somewhere. We don't know what he was doing. He's still around. You should get him. Daniel comes in, looks at the writing on the wall, and what does he now have to say? Again, this, this is the most powerful man in the known world at the time. What does Daniel have to say to him? You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Holy smokes. Now, I like to think that, I can, I'm, that I'm bigger than most of the moments I encounter. You know, like I think we like to think that, like I can handle that moment. I can step into it. And I can own that moment. I think I would shrink back in those moments. And then in Daniel chapter six, Belshazzar is taken off the throne that very night. 
and a new king has come, King Darius, right? And King Darius uh, has servants who don't like Daniel because Daniel is gaining too much influence. And so what do they do? They figure out, how can we get Daniel in trouble? And in Daniel 6, 4, Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, we hear them say, look, he's so faithful to his God and to the king that there's, there's literally nothing that he does that is not filled with faithfulness. Daniel, other than Jesus, is the ultimate example of faithfulness in the Bible. And so they think, well, what's our only hope of getting him removed from power? We have to figure out a way to cause the king, his faithfulness to the king and his faithfulness to God to be in opposition to one another. That's the only way we can get him. And so that's what they do. They tell King Darius, wouldn't it be a great idea if everyone worshiped only you for 30 days? And the foolish king says, yep, great idea. And Daniel knows now he can't be faithful to the king and to God at the same time. Who's he gonna choose? He chooses God. He continues to worship. He continues to do what he's always done, to bow the knee before God and to bow the knee to no man. And in that moment, he's sentenced to the lion's den. And he knows he's gonna be sentenced to the lion's den. And Darius is bothered by it. And God saves Daniel from the mouth of the lions. But again, in, the, in just these massively important moments, Daniel is faithful. Now, you may have noticed I started in chapter two because the question becomes, how, how did Daniel become the kind of man that could be faithful in chapter two, in chapter four, in chapter five, in chapter six, in these daunting moments? How did he do that? Well, the answer is in chapter one. I don't know if you remember what happened in chapter one. Daniel's brought as a slave out of his country into this new country of Babylon. He's gonna be taught all their laws and religions and regulations, all their wisdom, all their science, all their technology. He's gonna learn it all. And in that, he's given food from the king's table. But the food from the king's table would have to, if he were to eat it, he would be disobeying God's laws about what a a Jewish person is able to eat. It is God's revealed will. And so what does Daniel do? He says, I can't eat the food. Would you give me permission to eat only vegetables and water? And God gives him favor and causes that to go well for him. But again, think about our principle. What did Daniel do in order to be faithful in the big moments? He was faithful in the small moment of choosing the right diet. And then in Daniel chapter six, the other thing that we see is Daniel is faithful to pray every day, three times a day. In fact, that's how the other rulers knew they could get him in trouble because they knew this is what he does and he will always do it and he will never stop doing it. They count on Daniel's faithfulness to condemn Daniel. You see that? Are you so faithful that if someone wanted to condemn you for doing righteous things and they were, they were so, you're so, they're so aware of your faithfulness because it's like clockwork that they would say, oh yeah, we can get them in trouble anytime we want because they will never cease to do that good thing over and over and over and over again. Daniel's faithful in the small makes him faithful in the big. Let's think about some small things in our world that can cause us to become faithful with the big things. Some things like daily Bible reading and prayer. (coughs) Excuse me. We just saw that in Daniel. But my friends, (coughs) excuse me. We must rise every morning and be in God's word. You may think of it as a small thing, but to be faithful in the small task of rising every day and praying and seeking God in his word is no small thing. Or it is a small thing that leads to faithfulness in big things. The second is doing your mundane daily work. Those tasks around the house, those tasks at work, you're like, if I have to do that one more time, I'm gonna go crazy. Those daily mundane things that God has given you are, are God's training ground for faithfulness. I was listening to uh, 
let me make sure I get his name right here, Admiral William H. McRaven. Uh, he was giving the University of Texas commencement in 2014, and he is a Navy SEAL, obviously as an admiral, and he gave 10 lessons learned that he learned in basic SEAL training that he thought were beneficial to life. 10 lessons learned in basic SEAL training. And you know basic SEAL training, it ain't so basic, right? This is the most intense of intense training that you can go through, I'd imagine. I have not been through it, obviously. Number one lesson he gives them. He's standing in front of a a graduating class of thousands at the University of Texas. These are all smart kids. Petroleum engineering majors. These are the best and the brightest. UT's motto is what what starts here changes the world. That's my rival school, so I'm going to disagree with that. But these are smart kids. He stands in front of them and he goes, number, lesson number one, make your bed. Make your bed. And then this is what he said. He said, it seemed ridiculous in light of the fact that we were training to be warriors, tough, battle-hardened seals, that we were given this task of making our beds. And not just making our beds, making them to perfection every day. You know, the corner's just right, the pillow just right, every sheet just perfectly. He said, it seemed ridiculous, but this is what he said then. But one task completed turns into many tasks completed. And it reinforces that if I can't do the little things right, I won't do the big things right. If you want to change the world, start by making your bed. And all the parents said amen. (laughs) How about this one? Keeping your promises Keeping your promises. Now what that means is being careful not to promise things that you shouldn't promise, but it also means that when you promise, you follow through regardless of the cost to yourself. When you've said you will do something, be a person who will do it. The Proverbs speak highly of the person, who says, who swears unto their own harm. In other words, is unwilling to break a promise regardless of what the cost is. And here's a demonstration of that that I've seen at play a lot Uh, I feel like recently, um, is the idea that we would bail on something we've committed to because something better comes up. And I've worked with students for a lot of years, and that's something I've noticed a lot in in our students, is that they make a commitment, but wait and see if something better comes up at the last minute. And if it does, then they will bail on the first thing. And friends, I just wanna say, you're harming your ability to be faithful when you do that. When you make a promise, keep your promise, even if it causes you to miss out on something you think is better. Do you know what's better than the better thing you're missing out on? Becoming a faithful person. That's what's better, becoming a faithful person. How about this one? I've been struggling with this one recently, being on time. Being on time. Now, look, we all hit traffic. We all have moments where we're running late because it just happened. But how many of us are not on time and not honoring the person we're going to meet because not because we were legitimately held up, but because we just failed to pay close enough attention or because we thought it was more important to get that one more last thing done before we got out the door than it was to make sure that we were on time for the commitment we'd made to spend time with that person or be at that place. Small thing leads to big things. Now, look, friends, it may be obvious. It may be obvious, but the, probably the, the greatest, I think, in our day and age, the greatest hindrance to our faithfulness, I think, is busyness. Now, that may seem counterintuitive because you may, you may think to yourself, well, if I'm busy, then I'm being faithful because I'm doing a lot of things. And perhaps they're things for the Lord. But the thing I found is this, is that God is not a fan of our over-busyness. I don't think that 
I, I think that when I find myself overly busy, that is not about me serving God faithfully. I think that is about me wanting to be needed. I think it's about me wanting to feel important. I don't think it's about me taking all the tasks God has given me to do because God wants me to have rhythm in my life that gives me space to be with him, space to ponder his truth, and space to be fully present with people and not running from thing to thing all the time. I know many of us are in this cycle of feeling like we've gotta have our kids in a thousand things if they're gonna thrive in life or that we've gotta be in a thousand things. And I just wanna tell you that's, that's false, it's not true. Your kids don't need to be in a thousand sports. They don't need to be in all the club activities. They don't need to do all that in order to thrive. They really don't. I'm not downing being in those, but I'm just saying you need to weigh that and weigh what really a successful life looks like for your kids in terms of what you put them in. If you want them to be a faithful person, you can't make them an overly busy person. Busyness, busyness is an enemy of faithfulness. It's an enemy of faithfulness. Last and most important truth about what it means to become a faithful person. Look, I've just listed a bunch of small things, like say, do the small, do the small, do the small. And you could take those and you could do them out of a sense of really discipline and duty. And you could say, there we go, I've been a faithful person. But remember the first half of our definition? Loving what God says is good and then doing it all the way to the end. How do we deal with the heart piece of that? How do we begin to love what God says is good so that we then might, might do it, right? We need to do it, but how do we love it so that we can do it rather than just doing it in a way that reinforces our own sense of our own goodness or makes us legalistic and moralistic? Like, how do we avoid that in this journey to becoming faithful? And the answer is, there's a little tip for us in the word faithful, right? What is being faithful? To be full of faith, right? Well, how do you be full of faith? you know what God has promised you in Jesus Christ. And you ponder the promises of God in Jesus. And what happens is as you ponder the promises you have in Jesus and you become satisfied in all that God has promised to be for you in Christ, the more you do that, the more your heart is filled with faith because of the faithfulness of God. And it causes faith to rise up in your heart. And rather than just doing your duty moralistically, you become a person who's being and doing a line because you begin to love the good and then you do the good out of love for the good. You guys follow me? This is tremendously important because the path to faithfulness doesn't go through moralism and it doesn't go through legalism. It goes through believing the promise of God. Let me just give you one example. We could just go on and on, right? We could go Ephesians 1, we could go Colossians 1, we could go Revelation and look at all the promises that are inherited at the end when Jesus comes back. But let's just look at Romans 8, 32. I think the richest promise in all the New Testament. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Okay, think about that promise for just a moment. If it doesn't blow you away, it should. What God has just said to you as a follower of Jesus is that he will withhold no good thing from you. There is no good thing that God will withhold from you. That's, that's what all things means. There is no good thing that God will withhold from you. What's the guarantee of that promise? It's the fact that he gave his son. And if he already gave his son, what else would he find it difficult to give? The answer to that is nothing, right? If God has given his son to purchase and redeem us, what else would he fail to give? Now listen, as you begin to believe that, as I begin to appropriate that truth into my life and begin to believe, oh my goodness, God has not failed to give his son 
which is the guarantee that there's no other good thing that I should want or need that he will withhold from me, means that if I'm not getting it, it's not good for me, right? means that if I am getting it, that there's, whether it be a difficult thing or a good thing in my mind, it is good because it's been given to me by God, the sovereign God who rules over all things. And if that's true, then what that does is it caused me to go, oh my goodness, I can live my life in such a way that I believe that God will not withhold any good thing from me. His son is the guarantee of it and the cross of Jesus is the, is the demonstration of it. And that means now my heart is filled with faith in the, through the promises of God and it causes me to then make faithful choices because he is always faithful to his promises. Therefore, I can be faithful as a response as my heart changes and is molded by those promises. That's tremendously important because what I don't want is for you, church, to walk out of here and say, oh, I'll go be faithful. I will pull, I will lace up my boots and I will go get it done. Because some of you are prone to that, right? I'm prone to that. I'm prone to be the kind of guy that's like, I will, I will do it. By the grit of my teeth, I will, I will make it happen. You can't do that with this. That's the whole point of the gospel, by the way. You can't do it. What you need you don't have until you have Jesus and then you have everything 